2: Well I thank and honor Josh and April Thomas again every week we've shared a little bit of their story as a part of this series called through and I hope that it's been a fruitful and helpful series for you as we've talked about getting through life's more difficult circumstances I know that's something that's relatable to all of us in this room. So far we've talked about getting through the wilderness, getting through with hopeful expectation, getting through with honest lament, and getting through with the help of the community that God has brought around you in this church family. It's been a very raw and vulnerable and from what I'm being told, needed series. This morning I'm excited because you're going to hear a message about getting through five intentional stages of grief, stages that all of us have at some point in our lives or currently are experiencing. Uh, Pastors Rick and Kay Warren tragically lost their son and following his death, they wrote about these five stages of shock and sorrow, struggle, surrender, and sanctification. Now, you already know this. I have exceptional, extraordinary, colleagues here at Redeemer. And I had this idea, it's a little bit audacious, I'll admit, but what if we could walk through all five of those stages of grief, five minutes each through five different voices. And so that's what we're going to do. And I can almost promise you, they're gonna stick to their time and we're gonna get you to lunch on time in Jesus' name. This morning, you're going to hear first from Melanie Fell and you're gonna hear from her on video because she's traveling this week, but Melanie has an amazing story that she's walked through and she graciously allowed us to capture small pieces of that that she wanted to share this morning. You're gonna hear from Leanne Benton and then Dave Brown who is in the building, I will tell you that today, but he recorded his message in the Dominican Republic this last week as he and our medical team were there meeting almost 400 patients over the course of the week. Dave, of course, was surrounded by people who were experiencing struggle. And so from there, he gives his message this morning. And then you'll hear from Allison Myers and Garland Tackett. So to my colleagues who I love and respect, thank you so much for not only the insights that you're sharing this morning, but also for whatever parts of your own stories you're bringing, for your vulnerability and for your transparency this morning. Thank you and I honor you for that. Here's Melanie Fell.
3: Shock, well, we had a lot of shock during Steve's cancer journey. The first time we found out he had cancer, the second time we found out he had cancer, the third time we found out he had cancer, the fourth time, when we went down to MD Anderson for a checkup, it was the week before Easter in 2019, and um, they told us that the cancer had come back with a vengeance. That it was treatment resistant. The chemo wasn't working. The immunotherapy wasn't working. Radiation wasn't working. That the tumors had grown so large that we just needed to prepare. That he probably had three to four months left on this earth, and we needed to come up with a plan to make him more comfortable um, just a pain treatment plan and then since we didn't know how long we were going to be there my youngest daughter sarah came in from fayetteville to spend easter with us and um, we'd gotten our hotel room at the hotel next to md anderson and during this whole time i always stayed in the hospital room with steve i never was at home or anywhere else. And that night, that Friday night, he told me to go stay in the room with Sarah so that I could get a good night's sleep. And that was when the ultimate shock came, was at three in the morning, I get a phone call from the nurse telling me that there had been an incident with Mr. Fell. And mind you, this whole time, you know, my prayer through this whole journey had been that, you know, he experienced miraculous healing, That that God would rid cancer from his body and he would be whole again. And, you know, and I was mad, you know, so many other people were overcoming such horrible things. You know, why couldn't we? Um, Steve's favorite verse was Psalms 23. And so we would pray that a lot together. And also at this point, I was kind of on Psalms 143, you know, answer me quickly, Lord, don't don't abandon me. Don't let me go down to the pit with the others, because that's pretty much where I was going. So on that day in the doctor's office, um, I changed my prayer. Um, I prayed that if if God's plan wasn't to heal Steve on this side of heaven, um, that he would let his suffering be minimal, that he would um, ease his pain and make him as comfortable as possible for the three or four months that we had left, Well, as I raced to the ICU from the hotel room, little did I know that that was the prayer that he had decided to answer. His tumor had hemorrhaged again, and his lungs had filled up with blood and he had actually coated. They were able to do CPR on him, but um, when I got there, we made the decision to put him on palliative care because his brain was was without oxygen for over 25 minutes. The doctor said if they were able to revive him, that there was no indication they would have any brain activity and that he would be on life support and have to stay at MD Anderson for the rest of his days. And I absolutely knew that he wouldn't have wanted that. Um, So as horrible as this was, um, God did continue to show up. when we checked in to MD Anderson that time, um, Steve had said he wanted a DNR, um, but it hadn't processed yet. And had it processed, they wouldn't have been able to do CPR to revive him. Um, our oldest daughter, Jenna was here at the house in Tulsa and I called her at 4 AM and she was able to get on a plane at six, um, and make it down to Houston so that she could be with us. Um, we were able to call family and friends um, so that we could put the phone to Steve's ear and they could talk to him and they could pray with him and, and say their goodbyes. He actually rested peacefully and then um, he passed away on Easter Sunday. And obviously I was really, really sad, but I was really, really, really mad. Um, lamentations to cry out in the night, shout at the Lord, Lift up your prayers. Um, But yeah, it took me a long time to get over the really, really mad. It's been a little over four years since Steve was promoted to heaven. And I'm still working through a lot of mixed feelings that God's plan wasn't the plan that Steve and I had for the rest of our lives. Um, But loss is hard and grief is hard. But um, I've I've learned to put my trust in him again and that God is faithful. I'm just so grateful that Steve is in heaven and I know that he'll be waiting for me one day.
0: I first want to just say thank you to Melanie um, for her honesty and vulnerability and sharing the pain in her story, the shock in her story. This morning, I'm talking about the second stage of grief, which is sorrow. And in this life, loss is unavoidable, but grief is a choice. Rick Warren says it this way, there is no life without change. There is no change without loss. There is no loss without pain. But grief is a choice that we make, and it's a healthy one. It's a part of our spiritual growth. And because sorrow is often unpleasant, many people would prefer to just avoid it and get on with their life. But if you skip this step in the stage of grief, you literally can get stuck mentally, emotionally, and even physically. Doctors have linked some illnesses to unresolved regret, resentment, and unmourned grief. So when I'm talking about loss this morning, I'm not just talking about when someone dies. There are constant losses that we are facing in this life. We can lose our health, we can lose a job or a career, a friend, a marriage that ends in divorce, um, infertility, which I've dealt with, financial problems, the list goes on and on. You fill in the blank this morning. If you are breathing, there are losses that you're going to face now or in the future. So this message is for all of us. And loss brings sadness and sorrow. It's a normative reaction. God actually designed us with emotions and feelings. And sorrow is sometimes the most painful, but the most helpful one of all. It is God's tool for helping us get through the transitions and the changes in this life as we learn to grieve well. Look at the life of Jesus. In the book of John, we see a glimpse of him as he's responding to loss in his life, um, the loss of Lazarus and the grief of his friends, Mary and Martha. Let's read this together. When Jesus saw her talking about Mary weeping, and the Jews had come alongside with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied, and Jesus Wept. Jesus, in his short 33 years on this earth, was acquainted with sorrow. He wept. He grieved for his brother and he cried with his friends, Mary and Martha, who both approached this situation quite differently. When you read the chapter, you see Martha, who is running to meet Jesus when he arrives with all the questions, the frustrations that she's facing. Why were you absent? Why did you delay your arrival? And she's processing all this very verbally. And then you see in verse 20, it says this, Mary stayed at home. Maybe processing her grief in a more inward or private way. There are many different ways that we walk through pain and sorrow together. And that's okay. See how Jesus allowed space and time for himself to grieve as well as his friends. So my question to you is, how are you doing mourning and grieving in your own space and time? Isaiah 53 says that Jesus was not only acquainted with our grief, but he bore our griefs and he carried our sorrows. This is a God who is present in the middle of our pain. He is not aloof. He is not a distant God, but he is actually closest to us in the middle of our suffering. Psalm 34 says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. He also guides and leads us through our sorrowful seasons. Thank goodness. First Peter 5 says, and after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, he will confirm, he will strengthen, and he will establish you in the middle of the storm. Do you hear that? He is present and doing a deep work inside of each of us. I want to end with what Melanie said in the video a moment ago. She said this, loss is hard. Grief is hard. But remember Steve's favorite verse, Psalm 23, even though I walk through, say through, even though I walk through the valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We do not face sorrow alone. There is comfort and there is peace in our pain as we acknowledge it and we have to accept it and we feel it and then we walk through our sorrow. And on the other side of that valley, we can help others bring comfort and healing to our circle of influences, our small group, our neighbor, our community, our friends and our family. First Second Corinthians 1 says it this way, praise be to the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we have received ourselves. Nothing is wasted in the kingdom of God, even our sorrow. Remember how it says in Psalm 56 that our tears are bottled up. He actually records each and every one of them in a book. So our God is present in our pain, and He walks with us through the valley. He even remembers our tears. But as Dave will share now, there is still struggle as we walk through this journey of faith together.
1: Struggle is truly real. The struggle is real, and it spans cultural differences. Some of us struggle physically Others of us struggle emotionally, and still others suffer spiritually. And we suffer sometimes in compound relationships to these others. We'll suffer both physically and spiritually, or emotionally and spiritually, and so on. So we know struggle. Struggle is critical or elemental in the human experience. And unfortunately, we were kind of warned by Paul that this would be the reality that we live in. Here's what he says in Romans chapter 8. Verses 18 through 22. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Now, Listen to this part, it gets really good here. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Now as a guy, I have no idea what it's like, the pain or the struggle of birthing a child. But I will say I have watched three birthing processes. I have three kids, I was there for watching it all. and is some real struggle and real anguish that I have seen. It does not look like a pleasant experience. And it's one of the things that helps me regularly thank God that I'm a guy and not a girl because I'm just not strong enough to be able to produce a baby. In Paul's day, the struggle was even more intense. Because of their lack of medical capacity, birthing children was a real-life struggle of death or life. Now, you might be saying to yourself, well, that's all great and all, but how do we actually get through our struggle? Now, as counterintuitive as it might sound, we shouldn't go rushing through it. I think we have that tendency, we want to get through something painful as quickly as possible, and that makes sense, and that's good and all, but I think we need to slow down a little bit in seasons of struggle, because we learn so much about ourselves and so much about God in these seasons of struggle. Sure, if and when an off-ramp is provided to you, take it. But until then, as you're in this sort of heavenly holding pattern or waiting pattern, be asking God what we might learn during our season of struggle. After all, we just walked through the series of James, and James tells us in James 1, as we persevere in our struggles, we become mature and complete not lacking anything. Well, how can that be so? How can that happen? How can struggle open up the doors to perseverance and perseverance open up so in such a way that we become a more complete and full human? Well, it's only when our struggle gets beyond our ability to bear it that our awareness for our need of God grows. And sometimes... Really, it's a struggle that we need in our life. Now, that's not to downplay the severity of things. It's not to blame God for these things coming in. But sometimes God uses struggle as a pathway for us to grow closer with him. It helps teach us that we really need to rely on him, that we're not strong enough to do this life in our own. And as we struggle through what feels like the birth, birthing pains of having a child, We're given this promise that our present sufferings will not compare to our future glory. When Jesus comes back and fully inaugurates his kingdom and all tears and all suffering and all pain is wiped away, we can cling and hold to that experience. But even more than that, when we're in the struggle, we know that God is Emmanuel. He joins us in it. He has struggled too. He knows what it's like. And he leans in in that space. So as our reliance in these times of struggle shift from our capacity and we burn ourselves out and we begin to rely more heavily on God, there's a learning process that goes on in our soul. We learn about the trustworthiness of our Father in the depths of our struggle because He meets us there. He cares about us. He sees us and He hears us and He loves us. If you happen to be in a struggle this morning... Take hope, take courage. The God we serve and love, he sees you, he hears you. He knows what you're going through and he's present with you. Perhaps consider praying, Lord, how might I sense your presence in this season more? Lord, what might I be able to learn from this experience as I'm in it? And of course, be praying, Lord, take this struggle away from me.
4: God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Many of you may recognize this prayer as the serenity prayer. It made its way into popular culture through the addiction recovery group, Alcoholics Anonymous, and it is full of truth. It's a truth that seems backwards and upside down but so is the way of Jesus. When I was thinking which of my throughs I wanted to share from this morning, I did some digging into my journals, and I want to state, for the record, those are being buried with me. Myers, they're going with me. I don't want anyone to read those. They are full of great and beautiful highs and some very dark and deep lows. I have struggled with anxiety for, in some form or fashion, for my whole life. I didn't always know that's what it was, and there was definitely an ebb and a flow to its disruption in my life, but it has always been with me. My journey with anxiety is well documented in these journals of mine, and some excerpts are pretty tough to read. Some lines from those journals. Why am I like this? God, did you get distracted when you were making me and leave out some of the right ingredients? Jesus, I have asked you in every way that I know, nicely, angrily, through tears of panic and fear, to take this away. Why won't you take this away? I wasn't asking to be rich or famous or something like super selfish. I just wanted to feel whole and to be healed. I lived for a long time in the struggle stage. I did not see a way out of it. I knew in my mind that surrender, or the word that I learned for it in counseling was acceptance, was the the next right step, but I couldn't do it. Surrender felt like letting the anxiety win, sort of like how sometimes we don't want to forgive someone because it feels like saying, it's okay. But I was so wrong because you can do both. You can forgive someone and not say, it's okay. And you can surrender to the idea that for whatever reason, God isn't taking this thing away and not like it. I learned that I could hold my wish that anxiety wasn't a part of my life in one hand, and in the other, my acceptance that God can still use this very thing that I don't want in whatever way he chooses. Jesus actually models this for us, and if you've grown up in church, you're probably super familiar with this passage Jesus knows that the time is coming near for his great sacrifice, and he goes to a garden to pray. Matthew 26, then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Do you see what Jesus did there? He held both his desire for a different way and... His surrender to God's will, honestly, at the same time. God in the flesh models this and so gives us permission to do the same. And here comes the backwards and upside down part. I thought I could only have peace when I had all of my answers. But it turns out it was in the letting go of needing the answers that I found peace. Surrender became my pathway to peace. So maybe today you're like me. Maybe you're stuck in the struggle and you don't wanna be. I invite you to consider the way of surrender as a pathway to peace. Not a fake, it's okay, God's in control, but an honest acceptance of both. Both what you really want and what God's way is for you in this season. So if you are willing, I'd love for you to join me in praying the prayer I opened with. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen.
5: And we're now to the fifth stage. This is the stage called sanctification. It's a little bit of a churchy word, so I'd like to change it around a little bit and say that sanctification is the process by which we are trained transformed into the likeness of Christ. If we partner with God, Grief and suffering can produce in us the character of Christ. In Romans 5, 3 and 4, Paul states that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character. But what kind of character? Paul helps us again in Galatians 5, where he lists the fruit of the Spirit. That is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, Gentleness and self-control. This is the character of Christ. This is the character that he wants to put and form in us. But we must be transformed first. It is not the natural expression of our heart to do the deeds of Christ. In fact, it is the natural expression of our heart to do what we want. We all know this. We are basically selfish people looking out for our own best interest. It is my experience that the primary means of transformation is through disappointment, heartache, sadness, and grief. Jesus taught us well when he said, "...unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit." We are transformed when we are forced to call into question the rules of life that we thought were unshakable, and God wants to be with us and work through us to bring this transformation. It's a transformation that truly causes us to turn 180 degrees and go in the opposite direction, a transformation that others notice and say, you're not the same person you used to be. That kind of transformation usually comes through pain and loss. It is a death to self. So how does pain and suffering and grief help us to die to ourselves? Well, maybe a personal story could help. In May of 2019, my wife and I were in Chicago celebrating our wedding anniversary. We love going to Chicago, a great Midwest city, but we have a strange relationship with Chicago. seems like every time we go, we have some kind of bad weather. This trip was no exception. In fact, it had rained on us pretty much the entire time we were there. And it was raining when we sat in the airport trying to catch a flight that had been delayed numerous times. And then we got a phone call. Not only had it been raining in Chicago, it had also been raining throughout the West and the Midwest hard for days, (laughs) we heard on the phone that Tulsa was flooding. And we heard that the Corps of Engineers had predicted that our neighborhood would be flooded in a matter of days. Now, when we bought the house, I checked to see if the house was in the 100-year floodplain. Check. We're good. No problem. Unfortunately, this was like a 500-year floodplain. 500-year flood. And it gets better. Did I buy flood insurance? No. So... I'm sitting in Chicago, I can't get out, Tulsa is flooding, and I'm going to have three feet of water, predicted three feet of water in my house in just a matter of days. So we got out of Chicago, we put as many of our possessions into storage, and on the second floor as we could, we had done all, we even sandbagged our house, and we had just done all we could do, and we just sat and waited and watched as the, as the water just uh, began to rise. To know why this incident was so transformative in my life, you have to go back to why I wanted to buy the house. You see, I was discontented with my previous house. It was not built well. I didn't like where it was located. I wanted a better built house that would somehow make a statement about me. This new house would make me feel better about myself. But I told myself, it's a good investment. It's in the best interest of the family. But until those rains came and the wind blew, I truly didn't realize how much of my identity was placed and wrapped up in that house. I would have told you, oh, this house is not that important. I'm not really defined by the house I live in but i would have been lying to you and more importantly i was lying to myself how do i know that because i was about to lose it all what i'm trying to communicate to you is that through this story is that i was transformed through this incident i had been exposed as a fraud A light had been shown into the dark recesses of my heart. My stuff was far more important to me than I knew on so many levels. Now, I will tell you that the predictions did not come true, and our house did not flood, but now I cannot ever look at my possessions in the same way again. I have been given a true glimpse of what joy and peace look like. Now, I suspect that there will be more storms in my future. I'm sure that there are ways that I'm even lying to myself even as I stand here today. But through this incident, I have learned to trust God that he loves me and he truly wants the best for me. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, you are with us as we walk through life. Sometimes you seem very close and other times you seem very, very far away and distant. Thank you for being patient. Thank you for being patient with us. Help us to continue to see how your grace and your mercy and your love continue to work through our lives. Amen.
0: Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church Podcast. To stay connected with all that God is doing here at Redeemer, you can visit RedeemerTulsa.org or find us on Facebook or Instagram. Have a blessed week.